very pleasant good evening, everyone, and welcome to tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell, and this is our weekly get-together where we talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And again, it's been one of those weeks, not only for the Reds, but also for the Cleveland Indians. And let's go down south and find out what's happening with the Reds with our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm well, David, and uh, actually I think it was a worse week for the Indians than the Reds, uh, and the Reds had a chance to have a great week, but fell a run short in two games that they they literally could have won very easily just by running the bases like they had a brain. But uh, <laughs> nonetheless, the, the Reds did prevail against the Indians, uh, three games to one, and then took one out of three from the Marlins, so it, it could have been worse. Well, and, and the Indians, of course, they won two out of three against the Yankees, which is a team that they have to beat in order to stay in the wild card situation. Mark, you know, I, I don't know whether to bring this up, and you and I didn't have a chance to talk before the show, but I think we're going to bring it up right now, away from the game of baseball, in case uh, nobody heard. We've got to bring this up, Mark, and that is the apparent suicide death of comedian Robin Williams, age 63, that was announced just a couple hours ago. i got to tell you, Mark, that, that shocked me right down to my toes. I, when I heard that on the news, I heard it about uh, 7 o'clock this evening, and uh, like you, I was such a fan of his. I'd seen him in Las Vegas, uh, and apparently he was one of those personalities that was never off. Uh, I remember a guy tonight saying that he rode up in an elevator one thing one time and he put on a show you know, for the guy in the elevator. Uh, what, what a what a loss! He was so talented, and you you wonder when you have that kind of success and clearly uh, he was beloved by so so many people. Yet he he had problems. I mean, problems that uh, we all have. He had financial problems. He had marital problems. Kid problems. And I think people forget whether you're an athlete or you're an entertainer, a politician, or whatever you are, people think because you're in the public light that or public eye that you everything is great, and it's far from great. And I think we overlook that a lot with the athletes that we give a hard time to because they have the same problems we have. They, they just play baseball, and we do other stuff. So uh, you're right, such a loss, and... I think as fans, in some cases, not that we bear responsibility, but I think in many cases we're so insensitive to what these people who are famous go through, and we hold their fame against them in many ways. You know, I still remember him with Jonathan Winters on the Mork and Mindy show. I remember the many movies that he made with Billy Crystal. What what was your favorite Robin Williams moment? Well, I I think... (laughs) First of all, I, I like Mark and Mindy, but from a, from a movie perspective, uh, I, I think Mrs. Doubtfire was my favorite uh, Robin Williams vehicle because he, he, he played two entirely different characters, one dramatic and one comedic, and nailed both of them. <coughs> he, was, he was just fantastic. Um, he, he had so many things that he, he could do. He could act. He, he was funny. Uh, he was smart. And... Uh, Again, what what a loss, and you wonder what was left in the tank with him. I mean, just because he was 63 did not mean that he could not have done more. And the the night I saw him uh, in, in a stand-up, 
I, I swear, he, he must have been on for three hours and never, never stopped. It was, it was amazing, just from a physical perspective. So um, I have so many. What was your favorite? Well, there were a couple of them. Obviously, Mrs. Doubtfire, there was another movie that he made called What Dreams May Come that, that wasn't a box office success, but, boy, it was a good movie. And it, it was one that he was in more of a serious role. Of course, there was Good Will Hunting. But then I saw him on Inside the Actors Studio uh, a few months ago. It, it was from a couple of years ago. And, Mark, all he did was take a shawl from a lady in the crowd, and he did 15 minutes of stand-up just with that shawl, just doing different things with that that prop. And it was just simply amazing to sit there and, and watch him and see how fast his mind would work just on a simple prop like that shawl from that lady. You know, when I see things like that, that, that kind of intellectual uh, dexterity, I wonder what this guy's IQ was, because he was brilliant. You can't do that unless you're brilliant. And he, he was able to do so many things so well. And again, you, you, it's so sad to think that somebody blessed with those kinds of talents was also cursed with demons that, that we don't understand. And, uh, who, you know, it'll all come out, it always does, about, you know, his background and what, what caused it and, and all that stuff. But, mm -hmm. Uh, I, I was, uh, like you, I was very, very shaken by that. And um, I guess I'm not smart enough to fall into the category of a Robin Williams that I would do something like that. But it's hard to imagine you would leave your your family and your friends and your career just because you can't handle it. And that's, that's a terrible, uh, it's a terrible, sad, terribly sad thing to uh, have somebody endure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Robin Williams, in case you didn't hear, uh, died of an apparent suicide earlier this afternoon. He was 63 years old. Well, we're here to talk baseball, so, Mark, let's get into it. The Reds are 60 and 58 heading into the off night tonight. The Indians have the off night tonight, too. They're 59 and 59. So let's give a recap of where the Reds and the Indians are at. The Reds right now, five games behind Milwaukee in the Central Division. They were 4-3 and three this week, and they are right now five games, uh, I believe five games, out of the wild card situation. The Indians, on the other hand, they're in third place. They're five and a half games behind Detroit. Kansas City right now is only a half a game behind Detroit, Mark, in that Central Division. And the Indians are five and a half games out of the last wild card spot, which is Kansas City. And I know we want to get into the Reds and the Indians, but I'll tell you what, Detroit, even after getting David Price, Mark, they are having a heck of a time winning ball games. And Kansas City, in the last 17, have won 14 out of those 17 games to get back into this race. Well, first of all, Dave, just to, to clarify for our listeners, uh, the Reds are only two and a half back in the wild card, not not five. Okay. So they, they have a real shot at the wild card, only two and a half games back. But uh, you mentioned Detroit, and, you know, Detroit's bullpen has blown, I think, four four saves in the last ten days, uh, two over the weekend. And I, I heard today that they are interested in Jonathan Broxton uh, because he's having it's a fantastic year. I think his ERA is just about one or a little under. 
and uh, I, I believe he's undefeated, and uh, his, his whip is under one. He just a fantastic year. And uh, I wonder what the Reds could get for him, but if the Reds trade him, are they thrown in the towel? You know, that's that would be the issue. Uh, but you're right. I mean, Kansas City, I think it's been since 1985 that they were in the playoffs, and they have a real legitimate chance to, to get there. And, you know, every team goes through, you know, they, a, a scheme where they lose six, seven, eight, nine games in a row. <coughs> and Kansas City's had theirs. They, they've had that downtime. And I think they, they are playing with more confidence than they have in, in decades right now. And I'll tell you, Detroit, they put themselves in a position. They've got to win the World Series to make this a successful year. Yeah, they, they do. And they may not even win the division. <coughs> yeah, right now they've got a tough time. And let me tell you this. In the game against the Pirates tonight, which is a game that is of utmost importance not only to the Indians but the Reds, Justin Verlander left the game for Detroit in the first inning against the Pirates tonight with shoulder stiffness. If he is out of that rotation, along with Annabelle Sanchez, who just went on the DL yesterday, that suddenly stellar starting rotation that the uh, that the Tigers had, Mark, is now suddenly down in the doldrums. Well, it, that means that Detroit is going to have to to make a trade and they're going to have to go after starting pitching. And if they, and again, they have to win this year. Uh, what they gave up uh, to get uh, Price uh, makes that puts them in a position with with, with what they've got. They, they better win it. But I didn't hear about Verlander. But is there any score in that game? I, I wasn't paying attention. To that yeah, game. it's eight to one Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That so that's an that's a game and a series of very big importance to both the Reds and the Indians. Mark, before I get on the Indians tonight, let's talk about the Reds and what they have done. First of all, the Hall of Fame ceremonies Sunday. Very, very, very big Hall of Fame ceremony for the Reds on Sunday. Yeah, it was. And, and I think the the fans, you know, at, at, in Cincinnati really uh, cherish their, their history and uh, to, to me, I, I was very impressed by the response that the the, the new members into the Hall of Fame uh, they they made trips from like you know Griffey came in from Seattle and uh, wherever he lives I think he I think he's in Seattle um, so it, it was uh, it was a great event but ironically they didn't sell out <laughs> that, that weekend you'd think they would but uh, I think that is because of the way the team is playing more than. Um, lack of respect for the guys admitted into the Hall of Fame. Right. And, of course, the hitting problems continue since the All-Star break. I looked this up today, Mark. The Reds are 9-23 and since the All-Star break, and they're just averaging 2.3 runs a game. Well, we've, we've beat this to death. Uh, I saw an interesting blog today on one of the websites that uh, the, the headline was, the game has passed jockety by. And, uh, you know, I, I think that is one thing that a lot of people would agree with. I mean, you know, compared to some of these 30-something kids who are running these organizations now and, and, and the GM, you, you can see a, a disconnect between a Walt jockety and, and the guys who are running, say, uh, San Diego now or, or even the Cubs. And I'll tell you, speaking of the Cubs, 
a year from today or two years from today, that that club is going to be tough. They are bringing in some incredible talent. They've made good trades. They brought in some young kids, and and that that team is going to be more than competitive over the next two or three years. But uh, Jockety is certainly I, I would I would say he would admit this. He he is definitely old school, and old school ain't going to get it today. I mean, you you have some aggressive young GMs. And you wonder, when you talk about Billy Bean as an example, trading Cespedes, and you and I made the assumption, well, the Reds need an outfielder. <laughs> they could have come up with a with a deal certainly as good as the one Boston sent to uh, uh, for John Lester. They could have given up Homer Bailey or, or any number of pitchers uh, to get Cespedes. I wonder if Billy Bean even has Jockety on speed dial. Because, you know, I doubt it. They're two generations apart. I mean, Billy Bean lives in a world that Jockety doesn't even relate to anymore. Uh, not only, you know, with social media and all those things, but uh, in his knowledge of the game, the statistical uh, analysis of players, uh, I think that the Reds have to do something uh, at the GM front. I, I, you know, he, I'm not saying he's a bad guy or... Uh, wasn't a great GM at one time, but you can't sit by. The Reds are two and a half games out of the wild card, and they won't get a hitter. They would have. Been and from what I understand, Mark, I got to tell you this: I know this for a fact because the Indians are trying to get this guy, Marlon Bird from Philadelphia. Yes, he's not the power hitter that you want, but he is at least more of a bat than you've got right now playing in some of the positions for the Reds. Yeah, absolutely. And he, But, Dave, the, the point is he should have been here July 1st, not mm-hmm. now. The Reds would have a four- or five-game lead. I mean, they have nobody in left field. Uh, they have nobody on the bench. Uh, Jay Bruce is sitting 220. Uh, and the general manager says, gee, everything's great. So we, we've said this for a month, two months, three months. We said it during the off season. Hey, Walt, you might want to consider getting another bat or two. You know, just saying. And if the Reds would have had just a reasonable hitter, you don't need an all-star. Somebody hitting 290 with 18 home runs and 55 RBIs, the Reds would be in first place. I, I agree with you totally, which leads me over to the Indians. And, Mark, I feel like it's 2010 all over again. I feel like I'm watching the Antonetti Shapiro show from 2010 all over again with Manny Acta as manager. These two guys, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to call them what I think they are, bumbling idiots, cannot go out and get a bat that this team needs, nor can they go ahead and bring up the top, prospect that they have in this minor league system. Mark, I don't know, and we're going to get into this a little more during our Ask Us segment, especially with Jockety and with Francona. So I kind of want to stay away from that till our Ask Us segment. But as far as the Indians are concerned, Mark, what I'm going to say is I don't think Chris Antonetti and Mark Shapiro have a clue as far as public relations are concerned. You know, what was it, three years ago, Mark, I kept making fun of Dollar Dog Night yeah. Because it was the only thing that they could do promotion-wise. Now they do the Dollar Dog Night and the Bobbleheads. 
along with the fireworks, which is always a big draw in Cleveland. But the problem is, Mark, is that they've run that promotion dry. Friday, I got fed up with the Indians, so much so that I almost called a radio station in Cleveland. I never do this, but I almost did. And what upset me was, here they are in the middle of a pennant race. They've just lost three out of four to Cincinnati. They're going into New York to play the Yankees, their prime competitor for a wild card spot. And what do they come out and announce, Mark? That they are going to renovate Progressive Field during the off season, expand Kids Land so you can see it from home plate, and put in a double-decker bar. Now, I agree, Mark, that they need to put in a double-decker bar because these people that are going to let their kids play in kids' playland that you can see from home plate out in right field need to go to that double-decker bar to have a drink. But when are we ever going to watch a baseball game at Progressive Field? And more importantly, when are we going to have a team that is worthy enough to watch a baseball game at Progressive Field? You know, Dan, I, Mark, meant tell, I meant to tell you this. Go ahead. After the Reds played the Indians, I watched all four games. And you have been telling me for since the season started that this was the worst defensive team that you've ever seen in Cleveland. Let me Absolutely. tell you something. That is the worst defensive team I've ever seen on the planet. That I have never – not only do they make a lot of errors, what stunned me was your shortstop, I think on four different occasions – would get to a ball and bobble it and not make a throw. I mean, he had the out if he just make you know if he didn't bobble the ball. You, your yes. second baseman has such a limited range as if it's not hit right at him, it ain't going to happen. Uh, the your outfield, well, left field when when uh, what's his name was out there, Swisher was out there. He could barely he overran two or three balls. He he actually caught two of them, uh, but everybody looks like they're in concrete. And except Brantley, I mean, he's a great center fielder, but I have never seen collectively a team that is that weak. And, 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 and what's his name? Santana at first base. I mean, he's, he's a joke over at first base. So it, it's, you're right. I mean, I, I, not that I didn't believe you, but until you see it, and the Reds announcers, every game that they've made a point of saying, this is the worst defensive team they've ever seen. And yes. You, you lead the league, both leagues, in errors, I think, by 10 or 12 over the second worst team in baseball. So, uh, you know, the, the problems with the Indians, I think, are far, far harder to correct than, than maybe one hitter. Because you, you could bring in two or three hitters, but with that defense, unless these hitters are, are you know, are good defensive players, uh, that team is still going to be struggling big time. Uh, to keep the other team from scoring a ton of runs. Here's the defensive stats, Mark. The Indians have committed 91 errors so far this year in 118 games. That's only seven behind what they did the entire season a year ago. And that is nine ahead of Arizona, who's the next to the last worst defensive team in Major League Baseball. And just so happens to be the Indians' next opponent for the next two games tomorrow night and Wednesday night. So that should be a just defensive fiasco between those two clubs. And but how you many know, errors did the Reds have? How many errors? Yes. I don't know. Oh, I, I, I didn't look. 
I think the rest. But they are, are third. I know they're third in in defense. Baltimore is first. Well, it may be percentage wise. I think the Reds have committed the fewest errors. No, they have not. Baltimore has. Oh, really? They have yes. the Reds because last week the Reds had committed the fewest errors, and they said on a percentage basis, the reason the Reds may not win the percentage battle is that their pitchers strike out so many hitters that you know the Reds are averaging close to ten strikeouts a game. I think. So, right. uh, you know, they, you know, I think the Reds are, are certainly a much, much better team defensively than the Indians. I think their bullpen is better. Uh, their starting pitching is better. But the Indians hit better. Well, I can tell you right now. I will tell you right now, Mark, and I, 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 I don't care what you say about Chapman and Broxton. The Indians' bullpen is the only reason they are where they are at right now. They have a better bullpen from beginning to end, all together than the Reds do. Starting rotation, no. Closer, maybe not. But but all together as a group, the Indians' bullpen is better than the Reds. Well, I'll bet you a state a state dinner on that one, because statistically well, that, that that can't be accurate because the Reds have a shutdown ninth inning guy, they have a shutdown eighth inning guy. So the only way the Indians could be better is have one guy in the seventh inning who's who's better than who, who the Reds have. Which they do. They've got Brian Shaw. Okay, so in the seventh inning, they may have a lower ERA or WHIP. They don't for the eighth and ninth. And if if you have a starting rotation like the Reds, you don't need the seventh guy very often. Seventh inning guy, you, you know you. No, that's true. And and that's what I wanted to bring up about the starting rotation that the Indians have this year. This front office is responsible for three of the five starters from a year ago being gone. Now, granted, I had no problem with Ubaldo Jimenez, no problem whatsoever. But you had Trevor Bauer to step in for him, okay? But they let Casimir go, and they've let Masterson go. Those are three of your top five starters for a year from a year ago. Now, what do you have? You have Kluber, who's one of the best pitchers in American League right now. You've got Bauer, who's a young and upcoming pitcher. But now you've had to move Carrasco from the bullpen back into the starting rotation. You've brought up a guy that nobody's ever heard of in T.J. House come in. He's done an admirable job, but he's not a major league starting pitcher. And that's what you've got right now. And McAllister hasn't been able to get anybody out. And Salazar can't figure out what a breaking pitch is. You know, so they've taken three starters off of last year and gotten rid of them. You know, I saw Salazar pitch the other night, and he was he was tough for the first three or four innings. I mean, I can see with that kid, he's got a great arm. And I, I think it was in the fifth inning, things fell apart for him. But I can see a lot of potential in him. And he was still in 96, 97. And he had a great breaking ball, and he had the Reds locked up for the first four or five innings. But the guy I want to talk about is Masterson. I saw him pitch uh, for the Cardinals the other day. And I'll tell you, Dave, his his – Mechanics are so different than they were two or three years ago. He he has dropped his arm slot down, and he's kind of pushing the ball, and everything was yes. up. And I don't know if you had noticed that uh, over the last couple of years because I saw him pitch down there. I think it was had to be in eleven, and man, he was <laughs> he was tough. He looked like like a, a like a Tom Seaver type guy, just a powerful big thick-bodied guy who could really bring the ball. He just tied the Reds up that year. 
And the other day on TV, he looked he looked terrible. He didn't. He had his velocity was down. He was his fastball was in the you know ninety ish, ninety one, ninety two. But he had no movement on the ball, and they just they lit him up. Yeah, I really don't know if he's ever going to get it back. His release point, you're right, has has dropped probably about four to six inches from where it was a year or two ago. And and again, I'm they tried to blame it on his plant foot, his knee, his left knee. Um, of course, the Indians are masters at making excuses for things and coming up with fictitious injuries, such as the Jason Giambi knee injury that has kept him out the entire season. They just didn't want to cut him. Nick Swisher now is on the DL with a knee injury. Uh, David Murphy is on the DL now with an oblique strain. So now you're down to Curtis Dickerson, and they brought up Zach Walters to play left field yesterday. He's the guy that they got for Esdrubal Cabrera a couple of weeks ago from the Washington Nationals. But again, the question I have to raise, Mark, is where is Francisco Lindor? As you said, you saw the shortstop, Jose Ramirez, sit there and bobble balls and not make balls to not make throws to first base. And yet here is a shortstop that we have at AAA that the Indians admit is major league ready defensively. And that's their problem right now, Mark. They've, they've got shortstops that can't field the ball. They need help at that position. They need to shore that position up. And they can't do it with a Jose Ramirez playing shortstop who wasn't even on the horizon of being with the major league team before this season began, Mark. Yeah, it's, it's a now I'm hearing. I, I'm, let me let me just add this. Now I'm hearing Lindor may not even be the shortstop next year. Then he certainly has been overhyped. Evidently, everything that you you know you everybody's heard uh, has said that he's he's the guy that he's going to be a, a future all star and he's going to be the the mainstay of their infield. Uh, you know, maybe something happened that we don't know about down there that uh, he has uh, either tailed off or, you know, Billy Hamilton went through a bad year where he was not the player everyone thought he was going to be. But, uh, you know, Lindor certainly got a lot of press indicating he's the man. Well, yeah, and and defensively, again, he is major league ready right now. Now, he's, he's struggling at the plate down in Columbus. He's batting about 206. But, Mark, he can't be any worse than what the guys are playing shortstop right now. Look at Lonnie Chisenhall. I'm a Lonnie Chisenhall fan. I really am. But since June 30th, this guy's hitting 198. That's what he's hitting, is 198. He's hitting about 290 overall right now. He was hitting 380 at the at June 30th, and now he's, he's something like 25 hits out of 135 at-bats since June 30th. Well, he looked, he looked overpowered to me at the plate against a good fastball, and the Reds are pitching him up in the zone. Uh, he hit that three-run home run, uh, I, I think, on Monday night, or the first night, I guess it was Monday. And uh, that was a blowout game. But after that, they, they went to school on him, and I, don't, I think he got maybe one other hit the rest of the series. So he he's a, he's a guy that can be pitched to, like Jay Bruce. If you make a good pitch on Jay Bruce, you're going to get him out. You make a good pitch on somebody else, you know, one of the better hitters in baseball, and you won't necessarily get him out. So 
that's the kind of adjustment these guys have to make. But I wasn't terribly impressed with Chisinau's bat speed, what I saw. Uh, they were getting him up around the letters, and he was going for that, that, that fastball in the outside corner, and he, and he couldn't reach it. But, again, he's, he's a young guy, and uh, is, is he an exception to the defensive rule with that team? I haven't seen him play enough to know how good he is. No. No, he is not a third baseman, Mark. He, to me, he's got a very strong arm. To me, he's a right fielder. I really believe they need to move him to right field or put him at first base. I, ironically, you make you make the comment about Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana, up until the Red Series, was actually playing extremely good defense at first base. What ha- I mean, very, very good. What has happened with his bat? I mean, this guy, switch hitting power hitter three years ago, I mean... He looked like the next guy. I mean, the, the next big thing in Cleveland. Great bat speed. I don't know why he doesn't hit. Um, that's a very good question. Uh, a lot of a, a lot of it, I think, has to do with that high leg kick that he has. You know, he, I've never seen a successful hitter have a high leg kick like he's got. Uh, never. And he's he gets into timing problems a lot at the plate. Um, I'll tell you the guy that's got me befuddled is Nick Swisher. It's almost like, Mark, he is not seeing the baseball approaching home plate. Well, you and I disagreed on this, and he may have had provided value last year. He didn't hit that well last year, even his emotional... And he hit about 270. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't uh, a superstar by any means. I never no. thought... That was a deal that Cleveland should have made, and I know you disagree with that, but I don't think he. I think he, he looks old to me. <laughs> he looks like a guy who has slowed down precipitously over the last two or three years. But I never thought he was that good with the Yankees. I, I just didn't see him as uh, the kind of guy I'd want on my team. Um, and, and maybe I don't see him enough, but uh, I don't think he's got a very strong arm. He, he, he and he's he's not hitting for power. He's not hitting for average. His defense sucks. So I'm not a Swisher fan, um, and I'm, maybe he, I'm not seeing him enough. I'll, I'll give him that benefit of the doubt. No, my, my comment about Nick Swisher always was they gave him the same amount of money that they gave Travis Hafner, and he's a tremendous improvement over Travis Hafner. That, that was my opinion of Nick Swisher. If they could have combined, you know, they're, they're paying $20 million, $22 million a year for Michael Bourne and Nick Swisher. And quite honestly, Mark, I'd have been more than happy with them not getting Nick Swisher and taking the same amount of money that they gave him and giving it to Cespedes. But see, here again, we go with the Indians' front office. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know how they expect the fans of this city to continue. First of all, they're not continuing to buy tickets. You saw the attendance at the Cincinnati games on Monday and Tuesday night. You saw what was going on there. They had 17,000, 18,000 people there. That was an overstatement of the people that were in that stadium that night. They did not have seventeen or 18,000 people in there. Well, what for people who don't remember, uh, you know, you, you might remind everyone that the Indians set a sellout record in the 90s packing that joint 
uh, for what? How many hundreds of games? 455 consecutive games. So, so you know the fan base is there if you put a product on the field. And having that knowledge, it's just amazing. You know, during that era, the Indians outdrew the Reds significantly. And that was before the Absolutely. Reds. Before the Reds got their new stadium, the Reds are drawing well. But what would this team draw if people had confidence that they were going to win and that the that the organization cared enough to go out and invest in a player? And and then I heard today uh, that the Reds are going to cut their payroll next year. Well, the only way you cut the payroll is that you get rid of two pitchers. That's the only the only way you can do it. They're not going to get rid of Otto. They can't. And can they get rid of Phillips? Yeah, well, Phillips is only, I think he's signed through next year, I think. It's either okay. next year or the year after. He'll be gone. So I think they're paying him $12 million a year. So uh, they are going to be you know, stripping salary that way. But uh, the Reds have to make a trade in the offseason that's going to get rid of one. And, and today I saw in the paper that uh, Matt Latos is the guy likely to go, that the, the, the Reds apparently – aren't enamored by his some of his comments. Uh, that They're also ticked off at Mike Leak because he came out in, in the paper and said, hey, we need, we need more bats, you know, which is a slam at his, at his teammates. And uh, he, he said it right on TV. I heard him. He said, well, maybe this will, uh, if we play well, may, maybe uh, Walt will go out and, and bring us some help. Well, that's saying, hey, the outfielders we've got suck and they can't hit, and I want some more offense. Right on TV. So is he wrong? No, absolutely, he's not wrong, <clears throat> and I admire him for saying it. But I, the you know, I, take kindly to it. No, they're they're not going to take kindly to it. I I didn't. You know, the Indians didn't take kindly when Chris Perez made his comments back in 2011. But he was right. And what did it do? It got him as long as he was successful. They would put up with that stuff that he did. But I'll tell you what, you wear out your welcome extremely quick when you're not producing. And that's what happened with Chris Perez. He quit producing. As long as Mike Leake produces, Mark, he could say whatever it is that he wants to say. And, and quite honestly, you and I have been saying pretty much the same thing about Walt Jockety. What has he done to justify staying in that position? Well, it's I think the if you read the Reds blogs and and listen to the blogosphere and listen to TV even even on the the announcers Jeff Rantley made some comment that kind of stunned me the other night that he he said basically well it's time to step up to the front office okay you know the Reds are only two and a half games behind in the wild card and they could be even closer tonight St Louis is getting beat so you know they're right there it's there for the taking. With their pitching, I mean, the Reds could run off eight or ten straight easy with that pitching, and if they have hitting, but to lose two games like they did over the weekend, in in the first game they had a tying run at third, uh, I think the score was two to one, tying run at third base with one out, and they can't get a ground ball to, to get the runner in, and they they had a chance on Saturday night to win, they lost four to three, uh, again they couldn't get any kind of offense going. Uh, so it's a broken record. Uh, after a while, I, I wasn't even upset when they lost 
on Friday and Saturday night, and I usually am very upset. It's like, well, I guess they don't care enough to, to go out and bring in whatever they need to, to win, and they just are not going to do it. I just don't think they're going to do it. Mark, that feeling you had is called apathy. Yeah. And that is what the Indians fans have right now. And that's where I have a problem with the Indians. Not only, and this is what I didn't bring up, but when they made this announcement on Friday about making these renovations to Progressive Field, it was a half an hour after the report came out from Adrian Wojnarski on Yahoo Sports that the Cavaliers and Minnesota Timberwolves had finalized the deal for Kevin Love. Now, what is going to take top priority? And yet the Indians still came out that day and made that announcement and had the press conference. A half an hour after the Kevin Love announcement. How in the world... Can you sit there in your office, if you're Chris Antonetti and Mark Shapiro, and think, how are we going to steal the headlines from this? How are we going to steal the headlines from Johnny Manziel with the Browns? I mean, the Indians had to do something at the trade deadline in order to get, and I told you this a month ago, in order to get the fans and the media excited. They did nothing. I heard an interesting statistic the other day about the, the new television contract, and I think, I may be wrong in this, but I'm close. I think they said 24 of the Major League, ball team, uh, Major League Baseball clubs with their current payrolls will be in profit just by the TV contract alone, which means wow. everything else they bring in goes to bottom line. Mm-hmm. And... The exceptions were the Yankees, the Dodgers, the, I think the Red, maybe the Red Sox, but now they've cut their payroll so much. But uh, there were three or four teams that were, you know, paying much more than than the other teams. But those, so clearly the Reds, even at a payroll of 110 million dollars, I think they're at maybe 120. Uh, they've got room because they're they're probably making 150 to 160 just on TV, and they're going to be doing a new uh, contract locally too. So. It, it's it's not money. It's, it really isn't money. It, it's how much profit do they want to make? And as long as they can keep the fans from rioting uh, when they don't win, and they now can say, well, we've we've been in the playoffs three of the last four years, and neglect to say, well, we never got out of the first round. Uh, that you know, that's their their as we said last week. Some teams like the Cardinals try to win the World Series every year, and other teams don't. They, they try to be competitive, keep the fans happy, let's make our profit, and you know maybe some of these studs we're signing will, will, will pan out. And if they don't, uh, if we get close, maybe we'll make a deal at the end. So uh, everybody has a different philosophy. It's not, our, it's not our money. But when I see what Oakland did trying to improve their team, what the Cardinals did, and that, that deal may come back and bite the Cardinals in the butt, Eventually, because I don't, I think I don't think they got what they what they need to win, but you, you admire their their effort to try. So everybody complains about their team, but the team doesn't win. But the team that, that I'm kind of intrigued by now is uh, Tampa Bay. I mean, they they trade Price, and they're still in it. I mean, they're still winning without him, 
And that, that team has done it well. They, they, they get rid of guys like Price. They bring in some young kids, and they continue to compete every year. Yeah, they're they've, they're just out. They, they've got an outstanding manager. They've got two of their guys tied up for a couple of years in, in Longoria uh, and and Zobrist, and and they also have that kid uh, Will Shields. I believe that's his name out in right field. Now he's been out for most of the year, but. They've got an outstanding young club. What they got for David Price wasn't near enough for what they should have gotten for David Price, Mark. I mean, it, it's it's just not the case. But, yeah, I mean, my whole question was a week ago how Joe Madden could go into his team the day after they traded David Price away and say we're still in it. No, he, he, you're right. He's a great manager and, and maybe the best manager in baseball. But the other team that's come back this year – we, we talked about this last year with with, with Socha in, in Los Angeles, the Angels. I mean, you know, they're putting together a, a pretty good season. And with that offense, uh, they have a chance to win. But I think they're maybe a pitcher or two short. And uh, you, you look around baseball, and it's surprising to me the Dodgers have not gone out with that payroll and tried to get uh, – I think Correa was pitching for them tonight. Correa. And – you know, when you have him in the starting rotation with that payroll, <laughs> you know, you wonder why they haven't gone out and got a, a Homer Bailey or, or somebody that can really put that team over the top because that's another team that's supposed to win. Detroit's supposed to win in the American League, and the Dodgers are supposed to win in the National League. And as we mentioned this, Tampa Bay is beating is beating Texas tonight 5 nothing, and the Dodgers behind Correa are leading – Five to one in their game. I'll tell you a very interesting series going on right now is Kansas City Oakland, and that that game is in the sixth inning, tied at two two. Mark, hey, it's time for our Ask Us segment. Let's get into the questions, and we've got some good ones here tonight. And that's why, Mark, I I hesitated to get into the Jockety and and uh, Antonetti stuff because that's mainly where our questions are revolving around tonight. So let's get into the the uh, first one tonight. Bobby T is asking us. The Reds are still in the race without Votto, Phillips, and Bruce hitting. Imagine if they had a bat. That's more of a statement than a question. But Bobby's right. Well, Bobby, if you've been listening to us all year, we've been saying this since the end of last year. In fact, we said it last year. Uh, the Reds had nobody to back up Votto. And I, the reason the Reds are in it is because of their pitching. I think they have a great pitching staff. Dave and I disagree on, on the quality of the bullpen. But I put the Reds bullpen with Broxton and Chapman at the end. Right now, Chapman he is unhittable right now, and I've never seen anybody dominate major league pitcher hitters like he has. And Broxton is not far behind. But you're right, Bobby. If the Reds don't add another hitter or two, all this great pitching is going to go for naught. And when when you have a team like the Reds, they are capable of being shut out, not beaten. I mean, shut out every night. That possibility exists with that team. When they score three or four runs, it, it, it sounds like they've had a, an outbreak of offense. Well, it's because they're normally scoring zero, one, or two runs. So, Bobby, if you have any access to Walt Jockety, you could convey to him our collective displeasure with the fact the Reds don't have a damn bat. That, that's absolutely right. Hey, Tribe Fan 12 says did 
the public opinion convinced the Indians to finally issue a statue for Larry Doby. You know, Mark, this is an interesting question because when they unveiled the Jim Tomey statue a couple of weeks ago, there was a lot of uproar in Cleveland over that because there was not a statue put in place for Larry Doby, who was the first African-American American League player, just a couple of months after Jackie Robinson. Quite honestly, Mark, I don't think Major League Baseball has done enough for Larry Doby either, but let, let's not get into that tonight. Yes, I believe, Tribe fan, that is the case, that the Indians heard enough of it over the last couple of weeks that when they decided to put together these renovations, they decided to put in a statue just to satisfy the crowd as far as Larry Doby is concerned. And quite honestly, Mark, that's really a terrible reason to do it. Yeah, it's really too bad. You know, if baseball was thinking at all, what they should have done is bring up Larry Doby and Jackie Robinson at the same time. Uh, it, it would have deflected the... Uh, the pressure that each that Jackie had to go under, and it would have made it more fair to Larry Doby. That's assuming that they were that they were both ready to come up. But but Doby, uh, he could hit. He, he he was a good player. It wasn't just a mm -hmm. it's because he was a black guy who you know the first guy in the American League. He was a serious player, and he he had performed very well in the the Negro leagues. You know prior to being brought up by Cleveland. And people forget that guys like Ernie Banks uh, played in the Negro Leagues. And th this is a guy I saw play in, in, the, in the 60s and 70s, a tremendous player for the Cubs. And, uh, you know, Larry Doby, why wouldn't there be a statue of him? And why wouldn't you have his number in every American League uh, stadium as they have Jackie Robinson's number in every Major League stadium? Uh, yes. It, it just... It makes sense to me, but um, we don't run things. <laughs> Definitely not. It would be a lot different if we did, wouldn't it, Mark? It sure would. We'd show how to do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, Pete Rose would be in the Hall of Fame, and, and uh, boy, Walt Jockety probably wouldn't be the GM of the Reds. Speaking of Walt Jockety, Susie Q asks the question of the night. If Walt Jockety steps down after the season, who can you guys see becoming the new general manager? And would Brian Price be safe? Well, Brian Price will be safe because he's got a three-year contract, <laughs> number one. And I think he's done a heck of a job. And if the Reds were to come back and win this division, he's manager of the year. Uh, without question, he is. Because you lose Joey Votto, you lose Brandon Phillips, you lose Devin Mesoraco twice to the DL, uh, you, you lose Zach Cozart for a while. Just about everybody in that lineup, Jay Bruce was out with a surgery. Everybody in that team has been hurt. And yet, they're still competitive. So I'm a great fan of, of Brian Price, and he's a smart dude, and I hope they keep him around. As I said at the beginning of the show, what I hope the Reds would do is get a young, aggressive, knowledgeable GM who, for God's sake, let's get out of the cardinal mode. I'm tired of the cardinal mode. Let's go our own path 
and I don't know who's out there waiting in the wings that could be a GM, but I know somebody competed for that job uh, that went to the young guy who went to uh, San Diego. I've forgotten his name, but they were both about the same age, and I think that's what the Reds need. They, they need some youth, some vitality in the front office, somebody who isn't afraid to make a deal, and and right now the Reds, they, they, they've got the team that could win. They have the team that could win. Great pitching, great bullpen, uh, great defense, and all they need is hitting. And, you know, as we've talked before, Dave, teams have windows of opportunity to yes. win the World Series. Those windows are not open long. And you look back at the Atlanta Braves who won 14 consecutive division championships. But how many World Series did they win? One. Yeah, they won one. So uh, they messed up a chance to be the team of the decade, uh, maybe the team of two decades, because they didn't put together that final piece to put them over the top and become that, that dominant team. Uh, and the Reds are in that window right now. The window's open. It's been open for three or four years. And they refuse to go out and get that, that player who can make a difference. Mark, weren't they at one time grooming Joe Morgan for that position? Yeah, but again, he's Joe Morgan's 70 years old. And uh, he doesn't have the experience in the front office. And I wouldn't want a, a figurehead GM out there. I think you know you have to have somebody now who knows the Sabre metrics. That's been driving a lot of the deals. And uh, and I believe in that. I, I think statistics do not lie when it comes to baseball. Hell, that's, baseball is statistics. That's what it is. And if you don't pay attention to that, and I, I heard Dusty Baker last year talk to Walt Jockety. They were both being interviewed. And they both just kind of made fun of, of Sabre metrics. Well, there's something to it. When, when you look at the success that some of these teams have had following that model, you know, you want guys who don't strike out a lot. Why? Because they put the ball in play. And that means you can score a run without getting a hit. You know, you get a guy in first, he steals second, move him over to third, he scores in the ground out. Well, the Reds don't do that. They strike out. And you, you have to build your team around changes in the game Right now, the biggest change in the game defensively are the shifts they're putting on. Well, if if you don't believe in sabermetrics, you're going to have a Jay Bruce who continues to hit into the shift. That's why he's hitting 215 or 218, because he won't make an adjustment. Well, get a player that can go to left field if they're going to put a shift on. And you know, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen a few times, Mark. But that shift, what amazes me, is that more guys just don't dump a bunt down third base. Well, you know, it's interesting. If I read Ted Williams' book, and they, they you know, the first shift was the Ted Williams shift, it's called the Williams shift, and they mm -hmm. put it on in the '40s or late '40s, and people used to make fun of it, and they would put everybody on the right side of the infield. Literally, the third baseman would be on the right side of the infield. And they just said, you want, to be, you want a single to left field? Have at it. But he was such a hardhead at first that his batting average dropped off almost 30 points over, over the, the two years after they started that shift. And he finally said, well, the hell with him. I'll just start going to left field. And he started just banging the ball to left. And what ended up, at, when he was 
what was he, 40 years old? He hit 338 or 348, something like that, uh, two years before he retired. And it's because he learned to go to left field. And he said in his book, I wish I had not been such a putz and, and, and refused to go to left field. He said, I, I, I would have had another two or 300 hits if I'd have done that. Mm. So. Yeah, he, he, he would have. Yeah, and, and I agree with you, Mark. That shift is, is one of the, the big things. Billy Bean has really revolutionized the, the game. Uh, as far as the sabermetrics are concerned. I know he wasn't the one that invented it, but he's the one that really brought it into baseball, and it caused everybody to change. Heck, Brian Cashman, they haven't spent as much money with the Yankees as they did under Steinbrenner. Theo Epstein, look at what he's doing with the Cubs, and look at what he did with the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, they they are much, again, they're smart young not kids, but smart young men who who have studied the game academically. They have a good academic background. They they they, they approach it intellectually, and it's not just you know getting a guy who can hit 40 home runs and hope for the best. Uh, the game is changing, and uh, it's it's right now it's a game of pitching and defense. And if you don't have pitching, you ain't going to win. And if you have if you don't have defense, you're not going to win. It's it's no longer getting six guys who can hit 20 home runs in your lineup because the pitching shuts them down. So you have I think it's frankly a more exciting game because every game is close and that's what baseball is trying to do. But when you have a dominant pitching staff and there's there's four or five of them in the league, they're just dominant. You don't need much offense. All you need is a bunch of guys hitting 275, 280. You don't need a 350 hitter. And that's that, that's what's going to win the World Series. I, I think Oakland's going to win it this year uh, because I think they have just the best overall team. I certainly hope they do if the Indians and Reds aren't in it. Okay, last question on our Ask Us segment tonight comes from Lisa M. No trades at the Major League deadline. No, no bats, no pitching. Is this what Terry Francona signed up for? How long can we expect him to put up with this? Lisa, I've got to ask the same question. The guy's got a four-year contract. He swears Chris Antonetti knows what he's doing. The proof is in the pudding. Chris Antonetti has not done anything in the past few years that, other than hire Terry Francona that I would say proves that he knows what he is doing. The fact of the matter is, is that the Indians would not get the players that they have right now such as Swisher, such as Bourne, such as Brantley, uh, signing a, a contract, uh, a long-term contract, such as Jan Gomes signing a long-term contract, if it wasn't for the fact that they loved playing for Terry Francona. But Terry Francona comes from a situation, Mark, like he had in Philadelphia, like he had in Boston, where the team is not afraid to spend money. That's what he's used to. Now he's with a team that doesn't want to spend money, and I have to agree with Lisa. I don't know how much longer he's going to put up with it. I know he's got two more years left on his contract after this year, but is he willing to continue it? Well, there's a couple comments regarding the general manager I think we have to keep in mind. There is more to a general manager's job than making trades. I mean, you're running the baseball operations. That's what you're doing. 
that is stadium personality. It's, it's, it's a lot of things that go into running an organization besides going out and making a trade for, you know, a 40 home run guy. Having said that, the other thing is that the, we don't know the behind the scenes of the ownership relationship with that GM. Maybe they're grading that GM on things other than winning, like making money. We don't know that. And every organization is different. Now, at some point, if they don't win, if a team is playing poorly uh, for for five years and they're not winning at all, you're, you're, you're going to lose crowds. But what happens, I think, is some of these teams draw very, very well without winning. So the argument is, well, okay, our goal was to make you know, $50 million in profit, but we made 75. Yeah, we lost, but you know what? I really like that GM for what he's doing. Those are things we don't know as fans. And it's easy to jump on the GM, and I'm the first guy to jump on, on uh, Jockety because I don't think he does enough, but we don't know the backstory, And that, that, that's the only edge I will give him or any other GM. But if there is a backstory, then I think the fans ought to know it. Oh, I, I agree 200% with what you just said. And that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment tonight. Don't forget you can send in your questions next week for the show to askusordmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or send us a tweet at OHBBcohost. Mark, we we got signed on late, so we're going to stay just a few minutes over because i got just one more thing I want to bring up with you, and it's along the lines of trades. The New York Yankees put in their mo- in their monument graveyard, I guess you could say, out there in center field on Saturday. Paul O'Neill. Oh, really? Paul Paul O'Neill was traded by the Reds for Roberto Kelly. That has got to go down, Mark, as one of the worst trades the Reds have ever made. Yeah, and it's amazing. I remember. I, I think it was a year after, or maybe two years after, that you know, at one point. Uh, he was hitting over 400 going into September. It was unbelievable how he was hitting. He was getting three or four hits every day, Paul O'Neill was. And he he didn't hit 400. I, I don't think he came that close to it, actually. He fell, fell apart at the end. But he had a fantastic career. And I, what did he win, five rings when he was there? I mean, yes. So, yeah, that, that would rate – maybe not as bad as Frank Robinson, but pretty darn close uh, for the Reds giving away two uh, superstars. And, you know, the question will be, does he rate to be a Hall of Famer, Paul O'Neill? No, I don't think so. No, I mean, you, you again, you have to – it'll be the criteria. He certainly didn't have the – the steroid issue facing him. He won five World Series championships. Well, he won six. He won one with the Reds. So, you know, he was – no, no, I'm sorry. That's not true. He didn't, he didn't play for that team, that 90s team. Uh, but he, he was around for a long time. And, you know, the, the, remember the, the famous punt of Paul O'Neill? Yes. <laughs> I remember that. For, for fans who don't remember, it, it was back before he was traded back in the 80s. He, he was playing right field for the Reds, and he came in on, I think he was playing the Phillies, and he came in on a ground ball, he booted it, and, and knocked it down. He went to pick it up again, knocked it down again, he, he booted it a second time. He finally got so ticked off, he kicked the ball back to the infield. And actually, 
<laughs> went right to the first baseman. Yeah, right did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was he was being interviewed, Mark, uh, on Fox Sports Saturday, and he made the comment that he thought the trade to New York helped him loosen up as a ball player because he was from the Ohio area. He was playing basically in his hometown of Cincinnati, and he said he really didn't understand that until he got to New York that he was able to relax and play. He thinks he put too much pressure on himself to play in Cincinnati. That's that's really a weird statement when you leave Cincinnati and then you go to New York and think there's less pressure in New York. That's He even admitted that that was a weird statement. Okay, well, I didn't see the interview, but um, everybody's different. He was from Columbus, Ohio, and, and uh, yeah, he was not that far from, from Cincinnati, but uh, he had a good career with the Reds at the time that the trade was not looked upon, you know, negatively by Reds fans because Kelly was a pretty good center fielder at the time and the Reds needed one. But uh, <clears throat> in the end, it ended up to be a horrible trade. <clears throat> yeah, it, it really did. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up this week? Well, it's a big week. they got Boston for two games, and then they go to St. Louis for a series with the Cardinals in St. Louis. Okay. Now, is that is that next week, or that, do they have the Cubs this weekend? Uh, you might be right. Maybe it is the Cubs. I, I thought they played St. Louis this week. I think they play St. Louis next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. But you know, And the Indians? I'm sorry? The Cubs aren't a pushover anymore, so that's no day at the beach with the Cubs. No, they're not. That Baez kid is playing some great baseball. Yeah. And the Indians, they've got Arizona tomorrow and Wednesday. And then they've got Baltimore, whom, by the way, Mark, just so you know, lost Manny Machado tonight. We're not sure for how long, but his right knee, that surgically repaired ACL knee that he had done during the offseason, buckled under him in a bat tonight, and he had to leave the ball game. They're not sure how long he's going to be out. Uh, that's that's terrible news. Baltimore's playing great ball. They are right now. They're They're playing some good baseball. That's going to do it. Mark, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one, David. All right, we will. Next week we'll talk to you and see where the Reds and the Indians stand as far as the wild card and the divisional playoffs are concerned. That's going to do it for us tonight. Don't forget our show on Thursday night, the Ultimate Sports Talk Show at 7 o'clock. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for being our producer this evening. Also our thanks to those of you who sent in questions on our Ask Us segment, and most of all our thanks to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock, have a good week, everybody.